Today's scripture reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 27. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe, when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. This is the word of the Lord. So oftentimes when we think of churches and the topic of giving or tithing, we can think of the prosperity preachers that we see on TV that say, hey, give your money and send it to us and we will see God do great things for your personal finances. You'll receive back tenfold. This can lead people to think that churches just want money from people. That's all they want. They just want your money. Even People could think that about us as we talk about money, even though money is something that Jesus talked about so many times in his ministry. In fact, it might be the case that some churches are out there that do just want our money. But that's not the case with God. God's not poor, and he's not in need of us to give to him. But he wants us to be a generous people. And tonight we're going to discover why he wants us to be generous. We can also be misled and think that, okay, we want to give more money so that we can receive more back because there are scriptures that point to this fact that if we are faithful with a few, God will give us more. But if we're doing it for that motive, it uncovers a heart issue that we have of selfishness, that the only reason we want to give is so that we can receive something back in return. That's the hope that many of us have when we have money in the stock market, and we're not very happy right now because the stock market is not doing so well. I don't really have any in there. I just thought I would sound like I had money in there. So please don't mistake what we're talking about tonight. Don't give the TV evangelist money at 3 a.m. because you can't sleep, and he's promising you that all your worries will be taken care of if you'll give to his ministry. And don't be fooled by thinking that God can't see past our motives of giving in order to receive. Trusting God to tithe is, is not about either of those things. So what is it about? Mainly tonight, I want us to focus on three areas. First, it's about trusting God. Uh, trusting God means putting him first. The second one is our tithe is only the beginning. And the third one is our tithes bless God and others. I want to start with the first one here. Trusting God means putting him first. So it's easy for us to look backwards and think, okay, I need to pay the rent, I need to pay the bills, I need to buy the food, 
and do all these things because they are essentials of life. I have to have them. And in New York, it's quite expensive for rent and other bills to be paid. But the scriptures teach us something different from what our natural inclination leads us to believe. Look with me again in verse uh, 22 of chapter 14 in Deuteronomy. It says, you shall tithe, and tithe is a word that means to set aside one-tenth or ten percent. You should tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year, and before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always." So quickly, tithing is taking the first 10%, not the leftovers. It's not paying all the essentials of life and then using what is left over to give God out of what is left, but it's giving him that first 10%, the choice offering, the best of what you have. There's usually some pushback at this point. Within us, there is something that really resists this type of teaching, 10% can really seem like a lot of money. Actually, it can be a lot of money. If you're making $100,000 a year, 10% is $10,000. There's a lot you could do with $10,000. But just because you make a lot doesn't mean that you're sacrificing more. Because someone who's only making $20,000 a year, every dollar might be more precious to them. And so for them to give $2,000 might be more of a sacrifice than those who give more. That's a lot of money. I'm resistant to giving that amount of money. More resistance come when we consider other variables about the cost of living. Do you know how much it will cost to live here, to eat here, clothing and shelter? Lots of clothing this time of year, right? Extra clothing to put on. I'm going to have layers right now. I'm sweating tonight. I have have all these layers underneath here. I'm like, I I dress too much. Um, But debts that we need to pay off. We think about that we are very debt-ridden in our society today. And quite honestly, for us to give 10% off the top to God, there may be some drastic spending habits that have to change in our lives. And we just don't want to do it. I love hot wings. And I don't always get to go to Tuesday night 25-cent wing night. But when I do, I enjoy it. But if I want to give God everything up front or up front what the Bible teaches, I may have to make drastic changes. So what's the reason for tithing? Why does God want us to do that? We've covered some reasons why he doesn't. In this same scripture we just read, we see his reason for the tithe. It wasn't so the church leaders could get more money and get a better car, although there's been abuses of that for sure. And it's not so uh, God can receive money because he's poor and in need of our help. The last part of verse 23 reveals to us his reason. And we'll look at that verse again. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. That's the reason. So that you will learn to fear the Lord your God. So there are many verses in the Bible that talk about the fear of the Lord. And today we hear the word fear and we think terrified or afraid. There are verses in the Bible that talk about not fearing man who can only kill the body, but to fear God who can kill the body and send the soul to hell. There's a verse that says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
These verses are true, and if we are recognizing the tremendous power and majesty of God and we catch a glimpse of him and his glory, we will rightly be terrified. We will need Jesus to say to us the same words that he said to Peter, James, and John at the transfiguration when they saw him in all of his glory. And he said to them, don't be afraid. We will need him to say those same words to us as he did when he resurrected and the women saw him at the tomb And they fell down and worshiped him, and he said, don't be afraid. When we see God in his glory, there is a fear that is a righteous response that we feel. But that's not the state of fear that God wants to live in, wants us to live in. It is there, yes, it's part of it. But the state of fear, what they're talking about here, is a genuine faith expressed through this reverential awe of being in the presence of God. And this is the basic meaning of the biblical idea of fear of God. It means to be overwhelmed by Him. It means that He is the one motivating us, and that motive of of seeing who He is is what moves us into action. So unless there's a personal awareness of the awesome and majestic sovereignty of God, which means that unless we are aware that you, God, are the author and creator of all things, including me, it's impossible to have a meaning faith, a meaningful faith existing in our heart. Unless God is worthy of our fear, He's not worthy of our worship. Godly fear is characterized by total allegiance to God. But don't misunderstand. This holy fear of God is actually a source of joy. Listen to this verse. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. There's joy in the fear of God. This holy fear of God is also the fountain of light. In in Proverbs it says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So this fear isn't something that we should be walking around in, being terrified of God, but it's this reverential, joyful All these emotions flowing at one, that God is God, and yes, He loves me, but yes, He is worthy of my fear. Tithing is trusting God first. It's hard, because one objection we feel many times is, I earned that money. I work hard for the money. So hard for the money. I work hard for the money. So you better do it right. Is that right? Keep it right. I forgot. That. I should have written that down. But we think we work hard for the money, and so this is my money. I own it. Who is God to teach me or tell me what I need to do with it? And this is something that's in America for us as well, is we feel that we have absolute authority over our possessions. That's what we feel. It's our inalienable right, as some would say. But the reality taught in the Bible is very different. In Psalm 24, it says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it is His. That's what the Scriptures teach us. So we don't have authority or sovereignty or control over any of this. The older my kids get, the more I realize I have control over very little. It's an illusion. I'm not sovereign. I'm not the ultimate authority. Whatever we have has come from the Lord's hand and is indirectly coming to us through our work. But it's 
coming from His grace. In First Chronicles, you can look here, First Chronicles chapter 29, it says, but, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. The author there is saying, everything comes from you, God. All we're doing is giving you back what you've already given to us. That's a different perspective than the world gives us. Our wealth belongs to us the same way that a child's bedroom belongs to the child. The room actually belongs to the parent. But the child is given temporary accountability and charge over it. Trusting God means putting Him first. The second factor tonight is this. Our tithe is only the beginning. So many times we think that the tithing principle is an Old Testament law that has no bearing on our lives today as New Testament believers. But is that the full truth? Going back into the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 24 and following, it reads this. We're continuing where we left off. And if the way is too long for you, so that you're not able to carry the tithe, which is all of the produce that you would take in the herd, if you can't carry all those things with you, when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money. So go and sell all of those things and use money and bind up the money in your hand and then go to the place the Lord your God chooses and spend the money on whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household, and you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. So there's the objection that, well, the tithe principle doesn't relate to us anymore. We're not held by that. We're not confined to it. That's Old Testament Israel. And it is true that the tithe is not a standard of Christian generosity today because Jesus has called us to give much more than 10%. In fact, in the Old Testament, the tithe was never the standard of Old Testament generosity either. The tithe as a mandatory gift giving uh, as one-tenth of one in- one's income actually only applies to crops and animals from the promised land, not to all income at any time and place. And the 10% was never the standard, for there were three tithes, two every year, one every three years, and many other offerings and gifts that were also part of the Jewish life. So there were some exceptions here. The idea of the tithe, though, is still present in the New Testament. Pastor Larry read earlier in Matthew twenty three twenty three about that. It is never explicitly applied to believers, though, but instead almost all Christians are called to give more extravagantly in response to the gospel of Jesus. We are to give proportionally to how Jesus has given to us. And Jesus didn't give 10%. He gave 100 In Luke chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. 
And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more or put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So this tithe is a is a good principle. It's a guideline to remind us to give proportionally to the Lord as he blesses since he owns it all anyway. But by New Testament standards, settling for 10% can be a recipe for condemnation from Jesus if we reject true generosity, just as those Pharisees did. Biblical generosity isn't loving God with the first 10% and doing with the rest whatever we want, but it's loving God with all we are, loving our neighbors as ourselves, and imitating the sacrificial example of Jesus. Right now, it, it can feel heavy when you think about that. Like, oh, I don't really like that, or I feel bad because I'm not doing that. So let me bring some joy into our hearts. Tithing is a joyful thing. It's not a burdensome thing. We just got through reading in Deuteronomy chapter 14. It said, You shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice. In fact, he said, Go out and get whatever you want. Wine, strong drink, whatever you want. Eat and drink before the Lord in his presence and rejoice and be happy. Above all people in the world, Christians should be the most joyful. We are so rich, even if we are poor. The act of worship called tithing is not about fulfilling a Christian obligation. It's about putting God first and knowing Him in ways that cause us to rejoice in His presence. Just simply being in His presence and finding the joy of knowing Him. The invitation God gave to them was an experience of freedom for them. But this freedom was experienced in the presence of the Holy Creator. It wasn't a burden. It was a joyful experience. So the second point is our tithe is only the beginning. Number three is this. Our tithes bless God and others. So we've already covered the fact God doesn't need our money. But we bless Him because what we're doing is choosing to trust Him over money. And God uses that money And he uses other resources, our time, our talents, whatever it is that we can offer to people. We should be giving off of those things as well, using it all for the Lord. And he uses all of who we are to bless others and to meet others' needs. Deuteronomy 14, chapter 28 and 29 says, At the end of every three years you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the traveler, or maybe even the refugee, the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns, they're going to come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. It feels good to provide for other people, doesn't it? I mean, it's always nice to, I mean, it's not always nice, but it feels good at times to go out and and go shopping and do something nice for yourself. That feels good. But there's something precious about doing something for someone and expecting nothing in return 
and just seeing how it transforms their lives. It is a blessing. It blesses God and it blesses others. One of the objections that we have is that, you know what? What I do with my money is my own business. It's not your business. It's private. In our culture, our checkbook is off limits to most people. In a similar way, Christians, we say the same thing, that what I give to the church should be private. It's information only God should know. And we point to what Jesus, even Jesus said, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Or if you're George W. Bush, you say, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. See how I mix them up? should YouTube, but it's funny. But Jesus' words here, when he said that, were addressing inner motives of people. He wasn't saying, don't let people know what you're doing. He's saying, don't let your heart be doing it so other people will notice. That's what he was saying. As a caution to all of us, myself included, anytime we find ourselves insisting that some part of our spiritual life is nobody else's business, that is a warning sign that we are trying to hide something. We should keep in mind that Jesus gave himself his whole life. He gave it not primarily for you and me to have a one-on-one private relationship with him, but he did it to make himself a church, a body of people, a group of people to call his own. Yes, don't misunderstand that. Jesus does love you, and you, through Christ, have a personal relationship with God. That is real. You should know his love personally. But yes, Jesus also gave his life for all of us. He said, husbands, or Paul said, the apostle said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The church is God's singular bride, but plural in its DNA, its makeup. It's the church who shares a mutual responsibility for the spiritual growth of its, growth of its members, and that includes the use of our money. We are the body of Christ in which we play a role. We are part of something much bigger. Connection Church is not in and of itself the church. We are part of the body of Christ worldwide. So giving can be sacrificial for us. Absolutely. It's supposed to be. This season of Lent is supposed to be sacrificial as we give up something that we enjoy and prepare our hearts for the resurrection. And we sacrifice our individuality to become part of something greater. To be part of the church, we're saying, I'm going to stop being all about me. And I'm going to submit myself or myself to the Lord. Sometimes I feel like a multiplicity you know, kind of person. I have different personalities at different times. I'm going to work on that on sabbatical. I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> I'm going to work on that too. We give up being all about me and we submit to the Lord. We submit to the church leaders and we submit to one another. We stop being individuals for the sake of something greater. This means that Christians should be honest and accountable to each other about how we handle God's money. Because my money, whether it's the church's account or my personal account, it's all God's money. So our giving is not private. It's actually between God, me, and my Christian brothers and sisters. 
There's one more objection I want to cover. It says that, that sometimes the, the Bible says that each man should give what he has decided in his own heart to give. So I'm free to give as much or as little as I choose, maybe not even give at all, if that's what it says. And I want to show that verse to you. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So sowing means throwing seeds out. Reaping is gathering in the harvest. So if you're being generous uh, very little, then you're going to receive back very little. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So if you're generous a lot, you're going to receive back a lot. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, cheerful giver. We might think that the Apostle Paul is giving us liberty here. It's like, you know what? Do what you want. You decide in your heart what you want to do with your money. If you want to give a lot, give a lot. If you want to give a little, give a little. But this is right in the middle of a passage that is urging Christians to give generously. So how can he say to each person, each one give as you've decided in your own heart, and then also be encouraging us to give generously? It seems like a contradiction. But his point is this. His point is, don't use your license for selfishness, but use your freedom to cultivate a love of generosity in your heart. You should love to share with people. This is what he wants. It's not a step-by-step method for reasoning why we should give. Paul wants us to feel free. He wants you to be creative. He wants you to be excited to give far beyond 10%. Because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit appealing to the law for tithing is unnecessary. He's like, I don't even want to go to the law. It's, it's nothing. Why would you stop at 10%? Do you not know what God has done for you in Jesus? Do you not know this opportunity that you have to use everything of yours for the glory of God? We live in an exciting time today. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, and everything we have is from God. It's not a license to keep things more for ourselves, but it is an opportunity for us to be liberal and generous and give everything away. We see that we, we see what we love by how we spend our money. So we're not to use the law to give us a reason to be selfish, but we're to receive the extravagant bountiful grace of Jesus and give extravagantly and bountifully the same way he did. God has a very good reason for us to be generous. At the close of this section, Deuteronomy 14, 29, this is what he says here. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are in, uh, within your town shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. You ever feel like everything you do is just so stinking hard, and it's not blessed, and it feels like you're fighting against the enemy? What if... We're fighting against God. What if we're fighting against Him because instead of using the talents and, and gifts and the resources that God has given to us for His glory, what if we're saying, you know what, I don't really trust you, God, so I'm going to do my own thing here. And so it feels like 
torture going through this. But it's actually God's merciful hand protecting us. We're actually fighting against him. But he wants to bless you in all the work of your hands. The problem I have with the prosperity preaching is that a lot of it is true. God wants to bless you. He wants to do great things through you and me. But we are usually, I can't blame God, so we are always the reason why God doesn't do that. If we honor God with our first 10%, it starts to set the priorities in right balance to honor Him with all of our finances, all of our business, all of our personal life. When we're honoring Him with our whole life, He will bless the work we do. Simply put, God won't honor our work when we exalt ourselves, but He will honor our work when we trust Him in all we do. When we are blessed by God, then it's going to bless our family, it's going to bless our church, and it's going to bless our neighborhood. It'll bless God and others. So let's say that some of you right now are convinced, you know what, I'm going to start with 10%, and I'm going to start giving it, and I'm going to be a good Christian. I want to discourage you from doing that. I don't want you to do that unless you understand what I'm about to say right now. If you miss the heart of God, none of those things matter. If we think that we're meeting the minimum or the requirements in order to be safe from hell or be pleasing to God, then we miss the good news of Jesus altogether. It's not about us filling a list of dues. God created a beautiful world in the beginning. It was perfect. He created this beautiful world for his prized creation, mankind. He created them male and female. And they were both in God's image. The creator God found delight in this man and woman. But they chose not to trust God. And sin and death entered the world and has been wreaking havoc ever since. There was nothing they could do to repair the broken relationship that they had with God. You and I have sinned against God, and there is nothing that we can do to to repair that broken relationship. But the beauty of the gospel is this, that we are so loved by God that He gave us 100% of His Son's life in order to rescue you and me from death. It truly is the greatest love story of all time. There was nothing about our sinfulness that made us attractive to God. In fact, we were enemies and haters of Him. I thought about what it would look like in our world today for us to envision the depth of God's love for our human underst- from or in our human understanding. So Jesus looking upon us and choosing to die on our behalf in order to save us, okay? He looks upon us. We hate Him. He chooses to save us and die for us, is much like you deciding to die in the place of a convicted terrorist and murderer so that he could go free from death row and live the good life you created. How many of you would be willing, don't raise your hand because I don't think you will, 
how many of you would be willing to give up your life for what our society says is the worst of all humans? And then let that worst human being enter into your life and continue as if he were you. The gospel tells us two things. Individually and collectively, we are the worst of all human beings. And Jesus is the one who has given up his life so that we can walk in the freedom that he's offering and not condemnation. We are free today because of his grace. Not because we've tithed or or given or done anything else. And when we understand the depth of his love and generosity, we won't ask this question. And here's the question. How much should I give? When we understand how great of a love God has for us in Christ, we'll never ask that question again. Instead, we'll ask it a new way, a new question with a new perspective. And we'll say, how much can I give? Two different paradigms. One is out of how much should I do. The other is like, how much can I do? The question of tithing comes down to our level of trust in God. If we're not trusting Him, then we will withhold just in case. But if we're trusting Him, it will only be the beginning. And like Jesus, we are called to give every part of our lives to the Lord. But tithing and dedicating that first 10% to the the Lord is a place we should start. Jesus trusted the Father with His whole life, and He trusted Him all the way to the cross. And my prayer is that we would also trust the Father the same way our Lord Jesus did. Our money is not our own. It is given to us from God. Our giving isn't private, but others are directly affected by our generosity. Our freedom from the law isn't a freedom to be selfish, but a freedom to be generous. And finally, we don't give generously in order to manipulate God or to get something back from Him. We give generously because God has already given to us generously. Trusting God to tithe. It would concern me more if you were not generous in your finances not because of the financial implications it may or may not have for the church or the ministry or even yourself, but it would concern me most because it would be speaking of the condition of your heart. And the condition of your heart would be not trusting in God. He's given us no reason to ever not trust Him. He's given us every reason to trust Him with everything, There was nothing that we could bring to the table for him. Yet he left it all, became broken, died the death that we deserve to die so that we could live the life that he deserved to live. That makes me want to say, how much can I give? Let's pray. God Almighty You are our provider, and it is through you that all gifts come to us. Every good thing comes from you, 
And it is through you that we have the skills and ability to earn money. It is your grace that sustains us even in this moment. I ask that for all of our sakes that we would become a generous people as recipients of your grace and heirs to your rich kingdom. We have no reason to withhold from meeting needs around us. You will provide for those who do your kingdom work. That is your promise. And I ask you to make us a generous people because we want the name of Jesus to be honored among your church and our neighborhood. And we want the world to see the love of God in us so that they would glorify and worship the name that we are here to worship tonight, the name above all names, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his priceless and majestic name. Amen.